am Google chatting with Neil Campbell from the Foundation for Excellence in Education. Thank you for joining me, Neil. Thank you for having me, Brittany. I'm looking forward to it. Well, the Foundation for Excellence in Education recently released a white paper on an emerging school choice reform called Course Access. So I want to start out by just asking you, Neil, what is Course Access? Yeah, well, Course Access is a state-level program that provides students with expanded course offerings across learning environments. And what we mean by that is it could be online classes, it could be blended classes that are partially with the teacher, uh, in person with the teacher and partially online, and then uh, just fully face-to-face -face courses. And um, those classes are offered uh, by a kind of portfolio of diverse accountable providers. So the state's role in this would be to set quality standards of uh, making sure that providers are developing courses that are aligned to standards, that are assessing um, accurately that students are mastering the necessary material, uh, and that they're, you know, supporting students along the way so that you have the highest likelihood of students succeeding. And those providers can really have a wide range of who they are. It can be the districts or charter schools in a state. Uh, it could be um, companies or nonprofits that have created virtual courses, the higher education institutions in a state. And then even in a couple of states, we've seen things like uh, trade associations that are offering career and technical education courses uh, that their sort of members, uh, you know, demand that the, the members have uh, needs for new employees and the, the trade associations can help train employees for those roles. So how many states currently have some type of course access program? So yeah, it's, uh, it's a new policy area in that there are um, you know, the first one was was Minnesota just in like 2006. Uh, there's about 10 or 11 states that have some uh, type of course access-like programs out there um, in places like Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin in the Midwest, um, Virginia, Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, and Utah. So, um, in a number of regions, they have these programs, and uh, you know, the really the consensus of what these programs look like is just starting to emerge. So there is really wide variation of how each state has established um, these programs and the rules that uh, that go along with them. So what would you say then is the difference between just a full-time or part-time virtual school um, and course access? Well, I mean, the biggest difference in a, um, a full-time virtual school is that the students, you know, course access versus a full-time virtual program is that um, in students taking advantage of course access, they stay enrolled in the, the whatever school they're currently attending. So if they're in a, you know, a um, just their district's traditional high school um, or, you know, a magnet school or what have you. They, they stay there and then would just take, you know, one or two classes through the course access program. So maybe they'll work on an online class during the school day. Maybe it's something they do during the summer or um, at nights and on the weekends if they have sort of scheduling needs um, that, to work around. Um, so that's a comparison of how it's different than a full-time virtual school where the student would not attend a brick-and-mortar school at all. Um, compared to how it's different than a state you know, supplemental virtual school, 
Um, so there's a number of states that have these sorts of programs. And the biggest difference there is that uh, a state virtual school, it's addressing parts of the same challenge in that it's difficult for a traditional high school to offer all of the classes that students may want. But uh, the, the state virtual school has the state as the developer and deliverer of that course. Um, and so you're really getting sort of one option and one pedagogical approach uh, through the state virtual school. Whereas in course access, it's addressing that same problem of how to expand course offerings to students, but it's really opening up who those providers could be. So the state virtual school could be one of the providers, or it could be the districts in the state um, offering courses you know, beyond their own individual borders, or the higher education institutions or other organizations. So it's really a matter of the kind of single provider versus having this portfolio where the state, their role becomes the quality assurance so that they um, are ensuring that all these providers are um, offering high quality classes and um, that they also then create this sort of centralized place for kids to learn about what courses are available and providers are available. So of all the course access programs that you've looked at, which one would you say um, a state that doesn't have a course access program should, should model it after? Well, I think, so we've actually developed some uh, model legislation for states to consider as a, as a starting point. You know, we think it addresses a lot of these challenges of how to, uh, how to ensure quality, how to make sure that uh, the opportunities are communicated um, to, uh, to schools, to students, to parents um, effectively. And so I think that there, we, we definitely, as we were building that, um, took lessons from lots of the states that have these programs in place. So I don't think that from, from our view as analysts that we would say that there's a one perfect example out there that, you know, you could go copy this. Um, in terms, so I think one of the great things, um, Louisiana is a state that has a really ambitious program. So they've gone the furthest in terms of offering a range of courses. So where, um, Students can take um, dual enrollment, career and technical, um, blended, fully in-person classes, fully online classes. So they have this widest, they're the ones with the widest range of course opportunities and options available to students. Um, the, one of the challenges there is that, um, you know, there was a, a constitutional um, challenge to how the program was originally constructed and funded. And so right now, the way that uh, funding works in Louisiana is that it's funding that is delivered um, for course access courses to each district in the state. And so the district then has you know, a big say in how that, that funding gets invested for students. They can invest more if they so choose, um, but it's really at the district's discretion. Comparing that to somewhere like Florida, uh, where every student has the right to take um, courses, so they can take courses from the Florida Virtual School, from uh, most districts have established their own virtual programs, and the state is now um, running a very you know, high quality review process of additional providers that want to offer courses statewide. So from the, the students having the opportunity to, to drive what courses they take and are interested in taking, um, you know, that's a, a point of contrast between Florida and Louisiana there. So course access seems to offer students 
a lot of options and you know what types of classes they're taking so that's definitely a benefit but do you see other benefits to say teachers or school districts well, I think it's really exciting to to view it as a chance for for school districts to um, offer courses beyond their own boundaries you know the, the paper that we just released one of the the really neat profiles we did was of a uh, a very small rural district in Texas uh, called Guthrie. Um, and the, the school district there, uh, along with their kind of neighboring rural communities, recognized that they were not uh, able to afford the, the kind of foreign language teachers that they needed uh, so their uh, students would be competitive applicants uh, in the university system in the state. And so they kind of banded together the demand, their you know, kind of combined demand for that, and began offering, um, you know, it was staffed by a Guthrie teacher to offer, uh, starting with Spanish classes, courses to students in that area. And they, they've now grown to the point where this district of 100 students um, in a, you know, it's the third least dense county in the country, that they're one of the biggest providers of these virtual courses in Texas's virtual schools network. So it provides this great opportunity for teachers in those districts to, you know, expand their reach um, beyond. It provides opportunities for more flexible working environments and that some of these, um, you know, teaching virtual courses, if there are parents with um, young kids who don't want to commit to full-time work as a teacher, is a great way that they could, uh, you know, maybe dial back to part-time and, and lighter course loads for a period of time and then you know, fully engage uh, back as full-time teachers uh, at some point in the future. And so there are those opportunities there for districts that they can, you know, at the same time, create more kind of teacher professional pathways. Um, they can create revenue for the district by offering their courses uh, to others in this, their state, um, and they can really expand what's possible and available to their students. Well, Neil, thank you so much for talking to me. Is there a place that people could go and find more information about course access? We've written a little on showmeinstitute.org, but uh, where could people find your paper? There is. So our paper is on our website. It's excelined.org, and that's E-X-C-E-L-I-N-E-D.org, and then slash course dash access. Um, so they can also just do a search bar on our website, excelined.org. Um, and search for course access and find uh, a number of the resources we've created about this. Well, thank you, Neil, so much for joining me. Thank you, Brittany. I enjoyed it. Thanks.